Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, RNZ Sports, web-only sports show. This week, two of New Zealand's Olympic champions have their medical records released by Russian hackers, but they're OK about it. The All Blacks prepare to equal a test match winning streak. The Phoenix are positive about the start of the new A-League football season. And our top online gamers take on the world. Olympic gold medalists Mahi Drysdale and Peter Burling were mentioned in the latest list of athletes to have their medical documents made public by hackers. The New Zealand pair were given a Therapeutic Use Exemption, or TUE, to use prohibited substances. The files were published by Russian hackers Fancy Bears. Professor Dave Gerrard of the University of Otago Medical School is on the Drug-Free Sport New Zealand panel that signed off on those exemptions. He's also the chair of the World Anti-Doping Agency's Therapeutic Use Exemption Committee. He told Susie Ferguson he had no issues signing off on the New Zealanders' exemptions. The TUE process has been in place now for nearly 20 years and uh, it's a very robust process which allows athletes with genuine medical problems to... uh, get back into competition. It's, it's a, an act of fairness to those athletes who genuinely do have a problem and should be entitled to compete. Uh, having said that, there's got to be very stringent international standards applied to all athletes to ensure that this isn't a, a loophole that is circumvented um, to use a banned substance. And what sort of information has to be put in front of you, in front of the committee, to go through this process? Yes. Well, Committee and these committees are formed throughout the world. National anti-doping organisations and international sporting federations have their own TUE committees, and they act in accordance with some very stringent international standards. Which means that the doctor prescribing the medication, and it can't be a well-meaning family physician who's, uh, as a GP, acting in his patient's best interests, but they've got to be applying. Um, the scruples and the principles of international sport, which means that a sports doctor would need to consult a specialist in the area to assure that there's a second opinion and that the the diagnosis is uh, is clear and has met international agreed standards, and that the use of the medication is quite appropriate and would not uh, enable the athlete to gain any um, uh, performance enhancement from the use of the drug, but rather just to return them to a normal state of health. Okay, but these drugs that we're talking about here do have performance enhancing qualities. I guess that's the reason that they're restricted and that they're banned. That's correct. Every every substance that appears on the list is is a substance that comes under the scrutiny of the TUE process. And our role as a TUE committee is not to debate whether or not a substance is performance enhancing or 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 not be on the list. The fact that it's on the list means that that's the starting point. So we're not in a debate over whether or not glucocorticoids, the corticosteroids that have been referred to, are potent uh, performance enhancers. That's been decided by another committee, and we just uh, mm. work on the assumption that 
that's got to be justified use. But how does it look when you've got an athlete, in the case of Mahi Drysdale, using these substances or using this particular substance twice during major competitions, world champs and the Olympics? And people will be raising questions about that as to whether it did give him some kind of unfair advantage. Well, I think the question that's got to be asked is what was the scrutiny? What was the condition? What was the uh, exacerbation of the condition? I mean, this is life. The medical conditions flare up at unexpected times, and sometimes it's when um, a patient is under undue, undue stress, and one would suggest that at times of intense competition, there can be flare-ups in, in existing conditions. Now, uh, without going into the details, I heard Graham Steele speak earlier, and I think Graham was most appropriate. We're not here to uh, add to the um, uh, and fuel the debate that the, the hackers have, have raised and, and discussed internet um, particular um, medical cases, and it's not my intention to do so. But uh, look, the process of diagnosis and appropriate treatment is is a given. And when or if this happens, the time of competition is just coincidental and has to be treated on its on its merits. So it would be no easier or more difficult for any athlete to obtain therapeutic use exemption during the off-season or, or during the time of competition. Extra scrutiny, of course, is applied at the time of intense competition and a committee uh, would have considered that particular application and its appropriateness. That's Professor Dave Gerrard. I spoke to Peter Burling after his details were released and asked him if he had any concerns. No, not at all. Um, you know, I don't have anything to hide and yeah, no, no concerns really there. And uh, something that, yeah, it's obviously a bit different waking up to the kind of headline that some of the you know, person records have been released from a Russian hacker. But uh, it's something that, you know, when you actually look into it a bit more, you know, I've got nothing to hide and I'm not, not afraid of, you know, showing people yeah, my, my drug record. Uh, the system is there, obviously, TUE, um, and so therefore any banned substance, you know, it's all legitimate. Yeah, well, I had a TUE about a year and a half ago for actually, uh, you know, getting my wisdom teeth out, and I think it was one of the, you know, infection-fighting drugs, just in case uh, something went wrong that I didn't end up taking. So uh, it's something that, you know, we went through the correct procedure, and, you know, the, the doctor that, that did the operation, you know, wanted that um, that available you know, to them just in case something went wrong and, uh, you know, drug-free sport okayed it. So that's something that there is a, you know, pretty rigid process in place as to, you know, how you go about getting these things and uh, we, we followed that. Peter Burling. Meanwhile, Mahi Drysdale believes the publication of athletes' records should be taken a step further. To be honest, I, I actually encourage that athletes make this stuff public because, um, you know, if you've got nothing to hide and you're not abusing the system, then... You should have no problem in, um, you know, in in telling everyone why you're you're using drugs that you know other athletes can't use. Yeah. Um, you know, so so in that respect, there's there's no issue. Um, you know, there's I don't think anyone could could say, well, you're using this to flaunt the rules or anything. And um, you know, there's there's a lot of people that have legitimate um, legitimate problems. You know, things like asthma and stuff. And and you know, that's that's where you know these fancy bears they they think that they're 
doing the the athletes over and you know everyone's drug cheats but you know that's not the everyone's following the rules and there might be the odd person that's flaunting the rules and using TUEs um, inappropriately but you know that's only a very small number and that's why I say make them public because people won't flaunt it um, if they're going to have to justify um, you know what they're taking all the time. That's Mahi Drysdale and this is Extra Time. With the Rugby Championship well and truly wrapped up, the All Blacks are now switching their attention to creating Test history. Beat South Africa in Durban this weekend and they'll equal the longest winning streak in top-tier Test match rugby of 17 matches. Sports editor Stephen Hewson reports. It's been lost forward by the All Blacks and so Bledisloe won in 2014 ends up in a very nail-biting 12-all draw. Two years ago, the 2014 All Blacks were on the cusp of an 18-test winning streak, only to stumble against Australia when they drew 12-all in Sydney. The current All Black side racked up their 16th test win in a row with a 36-17 win over Argentina in Buenos Aires last weekend. If they beat South Africa on Sunday morning, they'll join the 1965-69 All Blacks, the 97-98 South Africa side and the 2013-2014 All Black side who also sits on 17 straight Test wins. It was the Springboks 46 years ago in Pretoria who ended the winning run of the 65-69 All Black team, beating them 17-6, despite the efforts of Test debutant Brian Williams. Going! Williams! And a great try to New Zealand! And he's going to score right under the posts. A great try to Brian Williams! Brian Lahore captained the side during that period and he still remembers the streak coming to an end. We had been playing really well in the uh, provincial games leading up to the first test. We kind of weren't expecting the sort of onslaught we got in in that first test. And uh, yeah, we didn't cope with it as well as we should. Even if the All Blacks equal the 17-test winning run among the top-tier nations, it's still a way off the overall record of 24 achieved by Cyprus in 2014. All-black fullback Ben Smith says reaching the elusive 18 is a strong motivator. When you're older, it'd be great to look back and, and to say that you're part of it. For Lock Brody Retallick, though, this weekend is not simply about equaling the record. It's a great thing to be able to try and contest. Obviously, we've got to get this week right to, to bring it level and we don't want to drop a game. And then, obviously, we've played the teams in New Zealand and now we're doing it in their own backyard. So um, it's something that we want to be able to prove that we can travel and also win. So that's another motivating factor. Hooker Dane Cole says there's no danger of the All Blacks getting ahead of themselves record-wise, given the feedback that they often receive from coaching staff. The reviews are pretty honest. That, that brings you back down to earth pretty quick. And... Uh, Pride in the jersey, I suppose. That's a big one for me. It's all good to be, uh, you know, patted on the back, but I think doing it consistently, you know, you take a lot of pride in. You know, that's a big motivation, motivation for me. Given the All Blacks have won eight of their last nine encounters against the Springboks, New Zealand go into Sunday morning's match as firm favourites. Should they win, they'll get the chance to increase the streak to 18 tests and take the record outright among top tier nations when they play Australia in the final Bledisloe Cup test in Auckland in two weeks' time. For Extra Time, Stephen Hewson. The Wellington Phoenix have a lot to prove in the new A-League football competition which starts this weekend. They're coming off one of their worst seasons when they finished ninth with just seven wins from their 27 games. The Phoenix take on Melbourne City in their opening game in the capital this weekend. Kojuni Merrick made a number of acquisitions in the off-season, including the high-profile Guy Finkler and Costa Barbarousas from Melbourne Victory and Marco Rossi from Italy. 
That has been offset by the loss of defenders Ben Sigmund and Manny Musket. I asked Merrick how he's approaching the new season. It's a, it's a build-up over time. The last couple of years has, has been making sure that we implement a game plan that's suitable to our style and the quality of the players that we have. And then when you start in the new off-season, pre-season, you specifically try and recruit players who fit the game plan. Um, so we've gone for more pace up front with Costa Barbarossa's good service from Guy Finkler. Um, Adam Parkhouse can play wide, high or defensively. Um, we've signed Ryan as a as a good, solid defender, but Marco Rossi was a very special signing for us. So we're continually trying to improve the quality of the team overall, have some depth, and then have a pre-season programme that really ingrains the style of play. And we're really happy that we had nine games this pre-season. So is there a good pool of players out there? How difficult is it to, to find signings? There, there are good players around. The high-quality ones, um, Costa Barbaros, Guy Finkler and Marco Rossi, they... You need those boys because they are your coaches on the field. You don't have to coach them as much. They can help develop the younger talent. And then you go into the National Premier Leagues. We've signed two from the New South Wales NPL, uh, Parkhouse and Tratt. Um, we're looking at a player from the Queensland Premier League still. And uh, from the Western Australia Premier League, we signed Ryan, Ryan um, Lowry, whose brother is also a Perth Glory player. So there's there's lots of available talent there, plus we've got our own Kiwis in there first and foremost, always on my mind. In fact, all the all our reserve team academy are all New Zealanders, and now uh, Alex River and Matthew Denton are making their way into the first team, and Matthew's been selected to, to go off to play in the All-Whites games in USA. So we could have had 10. We were, originally, we had to make sure we had made 10 available to the All-Whites, so it shows you we are developing New Zealand talent, but we have to be able to select from across the board and all players eligible for the A-League plus our five visa players. Depth was the next thing. I mean, you've had your fair share of injuries over the years, and I don't know how you can sort of plan for that, but, uh, you know, is the depth there to cope, is it? Well, we've, we did have a lot of injuries uh, last year, so... It, and this year, with it being a qualifying year for the World Cup, it's very important that we have good depth. We've lost six players to the All-Whites. Tom Doyle didn't go, but uh, he's injured. Um, and I, we knew that was going to occur. Anthony Hudson gave us a heads-up. So um, we've been working for the last couple of weeks on this, the squad that will play in the first match against Melbourne City, and I'm very happy with it. Up front, Roy and Hamish all pre-season have been scoring goals. Guy's been scoring goals from free kicks and Roley and Alex Rodriguez and Vince behind them are playing their best football. Um, and with Marco and uh, Dylan Fox in the centre of defence and Glenn Moss in goals, I think we've got a very strong squad against Melbourne City. Uh, a tough year last year. Do you do you have an aim? Is, is, is the playoffs the, the least uh, you know sort of thing that you're aiming for? The top four is what we're aiming for, and the boys uh, want to do that. And um, of course, it's, it's all very well to say that's the outcome we want. It's what is the commitment to achieve that, and uh, and they've all got um, little objectives to take off on the way to the top four, and it's all to do with distance covering a game, successful passes, movement. Um, heart rates and, and their achievable goals that they've all set themselves 
in order to make the top four. And in the nine pre-season games we've played, with three A-League matches in this last month, which has been ideal, we've only lost one, and that was to the Wanderers without two or three of the probably the starting eleven. Roy and Marco weren't there, for example. Uh, and, and the fans, they've been very loyal to you, you know, the licence issue and those sorts of things. Is it, uh, you know, it'd be nice to sort of pay back in some way their support? That's what's crucial, Barry, that we do pay back the fans. I mean, uh, uh, we didn't play well last year and it's easy to make all the excuses, but the bottom line is we've got to carry on from the season before where we finished equal third top and we've got the players now to do it. We've had the preparation to do it. And uh, we've only one injury, and that'll be a short-term one-week injury to Tom Doyle. So there's no reason why we can't look after the fans and get them to get their shirts off every home game in the last 10 minutes. So we really look forward to this year. As I say, we want to pay back the fans for their tremendous loyalty. You share the stadium with the Hurricanes, who this year were written off, didn't have a chance. They got a roll on, and they were champions. I mean, can you make any sort of draw or any inspiration from that? I'd like to, and I think Chris Boyd has done a wonderful job in the Hurricanes players. I was at the final, and I just thought they were outstanding. Uh, it was really noticeable, the one-on-one defensive play, and, and we've tried to make our players very accountable defensively and, and offensively. So I've, I've taken notes from... Uh, Chris's performance and it's just great to see the Hurricanes doing so well and winning it so we have to we have to show that we can stand up for Wellington as well. That's Phoenix coach Ernie Merrick. Jonathan Thurston, arguably rugby league's greatest player currently if not all time was in Auckland this week to announce he'll finally play in the Nines tournament next year. Thurston has accomplished most things in his career. He's won two NRL titles, multiple Dally M awards and Gold Boot awards. World and Club World Cups and countless State of Origin titles. About the only thing he hasn't won is the Nines. He told the media that was a motivating factor behind his decision to play as well as his desire to reclaim the Four Nations Trophy for Australia next month. For me it's been the, the Nines, being able to play in the Nines, so um, it's a tournament and an event that I haven't been able to play in since its inception, so um, you know, it's been, able, it's been a goal of mine to, to play in it, but it's been... Uh, when I can pick and choose and when I'm more comfortable about uh, playing in it. So, you know, I'm comfortable that I'll tick all the boxes to get my body right to play in it. You know, I experienced it earlier this year, the atmosphere and uh, what the crowd brings and the, the energy of it. So I'm excited to be able to be playing in it this year. But, um, yeah, it should be fun. What about the uh, Four Nations? Desperate to get your hands on that? Uh, yeah, yeah, obviously uh, the Kiwis are the title holders there, so um, we've got a game against them in Perth next week, so uh, obviously there's uh, experience and, and youth that Mel's picked in our side, and it's likewise with the Kiwi squad, so they've got a new, fairly new coaching staff as well, as do we, so um, you know, it's about getting the preparations right for uh, the Four Nations, and you know, it starts off, off next week. Do you feel like you're going in as favourites given what happened in the Anzac test this year? Uh, no, not at all. You know, they dushed us up in the last Anzac test, uh, the Anzac test before that. So, um, you know, they're certainly the, the favourites, the, the Kiwis. They, um, they're the title holders of the of the trophy, and um, you know, it's an exciting time for for Australian rugby league. Uh, Jonathan, what did you make of Todd Greenberg's, Greenberg's comments yesterday about a line in the stand and line in the stand in terms of player standards? Um, did you? Is that something you agree with? Um, I'm not too sure what he said, sorry. So. Just in terms of the, the omission of Andrew Fafida and Sammy Rajadra? Oh, OK. Um, 
Yeah, look, it's a stance that the, the game is, is taking. Um, you know, we want to see more fans and more people come through the gates and um, more people watching our game. So, you know, if the, if the game feels as though that's the best decision to make uh, to get people through the gates and watching our game, then as a senior player, then I fully... Uh, I fully um, you know, uh, appreciate what the what the game is doing and and stand up for that as well. I guess it's a full time daily in when it would have just about uh, the other JT, Jason Tamalolo, your club mate. Just a word on his progression. This yeah, year. look, uh, he's been outstanding uh, all year for us. You know, his uh, progression has been coming for a while now, and he's really found his feet. So. Um, yeah, you know, extremely proud of what he's been able to achieve over a short period of time. He's starting to realise his potential. He knows uh, what to do with his preparations to get himself right to play his best football now. And you know, there was a lot of pressure on him when he came through very early, debuted at the club as a 17-year-old and touted as the next Sonny Bill. So you know, he didn't handle that too well and um, unfair pressure on these young players that are coming through now. So um, Greeny's got the best out of him, and uh, no doubt, you know, he'll be firing. For the Kiwis over the next uh, month or two. Rugby League star Jonathan Thurston talking to the media. The highlight of the V8 supercars season takes place at Australia's Mount Panorama on Sunday with several New Zealanders' top contenders for the coveted Bathurst title. The last New Zealand driver to win the great race was Greg Murphy in 2004, but with Aucklander Shane Van Gisbergen leading the supercars championship standings, there's a chance another New Zealand name could be etched on the trophy this year. Joe Porter has more. Stand up and get ready to be entertained. Shane Van Gisbergen does not know any other way than flat out. Shane Van Gisbergen sits top of the Supercars Championship heading into the 1,000km race where the Flying Kiwi has only managed one top 10 finish. He wants that to change. It's been a great year so far and looking forward to this race. You know, the team is uh, pretty awesome. i got a great opportunity here to win the race. So, yeah, it's just a crazy race. You can never have a smooth sailing race. But, yeah, if we just stay consistent, no mistakes, we'll be fine. This will be an extra special Bathurst. It will mark the 10th anniversary of the death of legend Peter Brock. Brock won Bathurst a record nine times and the Winners' Cup is named in his honour. He was killed in a crash a month before the race in 2006. For defending champion Craig Lowndes, it's been 10 years since he first lifted the Peter Brock trophy and he'll be doing a demonstration lap in one of Brock's old cars before the main event. Have the opportunity to drive the Tirana again around uh, you know, the parade lap will be very special. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but look, any time you get to stand on that top step behind us, it's, uh, it's a really special year. Um, you know, marking 10 years of uh, Peter's pathing obviously will be very special for anyone that wins it. Brock's brother Phil says he can still imagine Peter being the centre of attention around the great race. Oh, he'd love it. I mean, behind the scenes, he may go, oh, yeah, this should change or that should change or whatever. But inherently, Peter, was, he loved his motor, motorsport and Bathurst was his home of, of motor racing. So, yeah, he, he'd be having a ball. He'd be walking around, having his cup of tea and yakking to everyone. New Zealand Volvo driver Scott McLaughlin finished fifth at Bathurst in 2015 and sits fourth in this year's overall standings. He says he has what it takes to win on Sunday. It's a, a hard race. You need to really have like an almost perfect day. So for me, I, I think we can do it. I, I, we're in our probably best position we've ever been. And I think, uh, yeah, I think we've got a really good shot at winning the race. It's not getting a podium. Fabian Coulthard was New Zealand's best finisher at Bathurst last year, coming fourth. The Penske DJR driver switched from a Holden to a Ford this season, though he's confident a change of badge won't rob him of any speed. 
A lot of it's to do with the car you're driving. You know, you've, if you're confident and you're, you've got a car that can do what you want it to do, then you're confident to take that extra extra risk. You know, the, the BJR car has been strong there in the past, but on the other side of the coin, you know, you look at Scott Pye's performance here last year and they had a very quick car as well. You know, they were one of the few cars to do a 205 at Bathurst. Other names to watch in Sunday's race are the New Zealand duo of Richie Stanaway and Chris Pither in the Super Black Ford. Former GP2 racer Stanaway is taking a break from driving for Aston Martin in the World Endurance Championship and says racing a V8 at Bathurst fulfills a childhood dream. For extra time, Joe Porter. New Zealand golfer Ryan Fox has earned his first European Tour card with more than a month left in the Second Tier Challenge Tour. Fox, who's now based in the UK for six months of the year, and New Zealand, the other six, is currently third on the Challenge Tour season-long money list and is guaranteed a finish inside the top 15 who qualify for the Premier Tour in Europe. The Challenge Tour doesn't wrap up until the first week of November, so it's come as quite a relief for the 29-year-old after he finished 16th last season. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty tough six months, I guess, the back end of last year and the start of this year, trying to play... Whatever starts I got on main tour, were, um, you know, I didn't quite perform how I wanted to, and um, yeah, finished 16th last year was was pretty painful and um, nice to, I guess, learn from that, um, learn from the mistakes of last year, and um, I guess use use the experience from last year as well to to lock it up this year, even you know, with with four events to go, um, you know, I, I definitely enough money up to to guarantee one of those 15 spots now which is yeah yeah great and nice to nice to be able to plan the schedule now for for next year i uh, i guess what was it about this year uh in particular that you you learnt on from last year because obviously as you mentioned earlier a little bit of heartache finishing 16th but um was it a case of just playing more tournaments or was it just getting a bit more consistency going uh, over over the course of the season what was it that sort of clicked i guess this year um, well, probably the main thing was actually being based up here. I think last year I, I got off to a hiss and a roar on Challenge Tour, uh, but I did three trips back and forth to Europe and in the space of, uh, I think, four months. And I spent 20 days at home total from, from June till December. So I uh, you know, ended up playing the whole time. You know, the trips were so long and just body and mind were, were a bit burnt out at the end of the year. And, and I really... I really struggled to play good golf at the end of the year, and um, I guess that was the main reason. And in, in being based in the UK this year, obviously traveling through Europe, so a lot easier. And having a home base, even though you know it's not quite home like New Zealand, it, it's still you know still a place to crash. I can still come come home for a day in between tournaments and repack, and um, you know got a place to practice here and, and all of that. And it, it, I think that made a big difference. And I guess another thing learnt last year, I played Dunhill Links at the end of the year and missed a couple of Challenge Tour events. And if I'd have made a cut in one of those and finished in the top 20, I probably would have had a full card for this year. So, you know, learnt from that. I made the choice mid-year after a couple of good events on Challenge Tour that I was going to just play Challenge for the rest of the year and, and focus on getting a top 15. And you know, I guess stuck to the guns on that and. Um, you know, I've now been rewarded with, with that result. 
this you've still got a few weeks left, right? So you've got what four? Uh, I think November second is the last event you've got uh, down in Oman. You're sitting you're sitting third at the moment. What is the what is the goal? I guess are you aiming to finish top five? Are you, are you hoping to take the whole thing out? Well, what is your sort of plan? I guess over the next few weeks. Um, obviously, I, I'd, I'd love to push to to win the Order of Merit. Um, that 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 gets top spot for the Challenge Tour rankings and going in every event next year. So obviously, I've got the most chance of of getting into as many events as possible. Um, yeah, basically, the higher up you finish. So um, you know, I, I need to play really well in the last last four events to do that. New Zealand golfer Ryan Fox talking to Matt Chatterton. Competitive e-gaming isn't a sport most New Zealanders are familiar with. However, six players are representing us at the World Championships in Jakarta this weekend. Five League of Legends and one Hearthstone player will take on the world's best in the eighth annual World Championship. It's the first time New Zealand has sent a team to the Games. A total of 141 participants from across the globe will take part in the weekend what is becoming one of the fastest-growing online competitions worldwide. Matt Chatterton spoke to Freddie Tresseder about how competitive gaming came to prominence here and around the world. Usually the shortest matches would be around 20 minutes, but we saw a professional match last night go for 70 minutes. Um, and I think the longest recorded professional match went for around 90 minutes. So they can get really, really, really long, um, which is where the kind of stamina and fin- physical strength comes into it, I guess. And how do you do that? How do you give them the, the skills, I guess, to be able to handle those tense situations where you, where you are playing in a world championship and possibly going for over an hour? Uh, a lot of it is reminding the players that, sure, you are sitting in front of a crowd of a 1,000 people, but overall you can just zero in onto your monitor. It's the same keyboard, it's the same mouse, it's the same headset, nothing's changed. You just need to remember that, and you can play as if it's your own setup at home. Um, like with any other football match, it's the same football match. There's just a few people watching. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I guess, and um, it's quite remarkable here in New Zealand because, in particular, I guess in the last six months, it's made its way into mainstream media. Like I've been watching it on uh, Sky Sport. It's managed to get on onto Sky, which is a, is a massive deal. How long? How long has this process been? I guess getting this competitive sport going uh, into the mainstream media and also, I guess, onto the world stage like we're seeing here um, in Jakarta? Well, I've been involved in esports for around six years now. Um, And like you said, it's only started to kick off in New Zealand in the last six months, maybe stretching for a year. And that's a lot because we've had the advantage of it's taken so long to get to New Zealand because we're so separated from the rest of the world geographically that We've been able to take all the correct decisions that everyone made in North America and Korea and such and then apply those and just forget about all the mistakes they made. Um, So it is definitely picking up in New Zealand much faster um, now that there's been a lot more of um, corporate um, investment and excitement about it. Um, But yeah, definitely having that kind of break to see what North America did wrong is pretty fantastic and it's a pretty valuable um, advantage to have. Obviously, that puts you in a good place being able to, you know, as you mentioned, right the wrongs of what they did. But does it hinder us at all being slightly behind in terms of time? Like, is it, is it an experience thing when it comes to these games as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's incredibly hard to find veteran players in New Zealand. Um, and a lot of that comes down to the fact that a lot of organisations haven't set up infrastructure in terms of coaching staff, support staff and all that sort of stuff. Um, and also that lots of teams don't have the um, ability to invest in team houses, so you can't get the full setup and that kind of infrastructure set up the team. 
which in turn means that the players aren't able to compete at the best of level. But we think that we've been fortunate enough to practice in the Hexadome here, which has been provided by Let's Play Live and helped out by the New Zealand Esports Federation. We've been able to train these players in a live scenario. Um, and having that uh, advantage is great because it's a totally different ball game compared to when you're practicing online. Another report there from Matt Chatterton. He's had a busy week for us. And that's extra time for this week. Keep in touch via Twitter at RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.